0: I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, I'm talking with Del Greco Wilson. For those who don't know, Del Greco, he's the founder of the Black Cager of Black Cager Sports. He covers college hoop scene, national high school recruits, um, and they recently lost uh, launched Black Cager TV. Honestly, I don't know what this guy doesn't do. He's been around. He's been around the block for for, for ages, and 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 he's got uh, the best relationships in the, in the Northeast area. So, welcome, Del Greco.
1: Ah oh, man, good to be here, Kev.
0: Yeah, man. So, so let's, real quick, for, for some of the listeners that might not know uh, more about your background, tell me about your upbringing and, and kind of your former player experience and how you got into, you know, kind of the media scouting side on what you're doing now.
1: Uh, I grew up in a small, small town right on the edge of southwest Philadelphia, right near the Philadelphia, walking distance, actually, to the Philadelphia International Airport uh, called Darby Township, Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up with uh, uh, Jeffrey Arnold. He's actually longtime assistant at St. Joe's and now he's at uh, Ryder University with Kevin Baggett. And we played together throughout elementary, middle, junior high and high school. And uh, Jeffrey was really pretty good. You know, and he ended up taking a scholarship to uh, St. Joseph's where he played. And I ended up uh, playing at Lincoln University for a couple of years. Um, we played in high school. We had good teams. We made the state finals and we won the state championships in 75, made the finals in 78 and 80. And we lost in the final four my junior year in 82. So I grew up in a town where, you know, basketball was pretty serious, man. And, you know, it was the uh, the goal of most of the kids in town to either run track, play football, or play basketball at Derby Township High School, and, and so that's the
0: background. Okay, and then, so f- from the playing side, you know, I guess as you fast forward over the years, like what, what kind of got you, did you always know you wanted to stay involved with the game if you weren't playing at the highest levels?
1: Well, actually, I um, I was playing at Lincoln, and I was just really beginning to take um, academics pretty seriously. And um, I had a couple of my professors cornered me one day and they were like, you know, why do you play basketball? You know, I was like, I don't know. I, I like it. I always play. And they was like, dude, you know, you could do some other things, you know? I mean, do you think you're going to go pro in basketball? No one had ever asked me that question. And they asked wow. me that. And I was like, you know what? No, I don't think I'll be a pro basketball player. They said, "Well, look, you could you could go to graduate school, and they would pay you to go to graduate school and, and do all these things." And I was like, "Really? I didn't I didn't know that that existed at the time." So they took me out. We visited um, University of Delaware. I was I was still a sophomore, late like second semester sophomore, and a gentleman at um the chair of the department at Delaware Political Science Department told me he would give me a fellowship. Pulled out the paper with the terms of the fellowship on it. was like $14,000 a year to go to school. You know, I'm like 20 years old. I'm like, yo, that, that don't sound bad to me, rather than paying tuition and all that. So I said, you know, on the way back to school, I told my professor to take me to the gym and I walked in and I told my coach, I quit, man, you know, I'm out. I'm got a, I got wow. a fellowship. And he was like, you don't have no fellowship. I said, dude, I got a fellowship and I need some stuff to do. And I was fortunate, you know, Lincoln is a real small, historically black college nestled in a corner where Maryland, Delaware and Pennsylvania meet. That's exactly where it is. It's like five minutes from Maryland, five minutes from Delaware, right in the corner of Pennsylvania. And so for the next two years, I really didn't go to my regular classes. I would meet with my professors and I would have to read like a book a week for like two years straight so when i got to graduate school i was ready man i had read all the stuff that i covered my first year of graduate school i had already read it understood it reviewed it i had all the notes i had everything so that was really a blessing um while i was doing that um bruiser flint a real good friend of mine and jeff arnold were getting started on their coaching careers and one of the things you know i would talk to them at the time bruiser was at coppin State, and, uh, getting ready to go to UMass with Cal and Jeff was starting out at uh, St. Joe's and we would talk all the time. And one of the things that always used to bother me was they would talk about kids that they really, really liked, but they couldn't recruit. And i you know, it's always like, well, why? And they would say, man, he can't get a school. And I'm like, well, why? You know, I, I'm naive. Mm-hmm. So, and these kids, the grades are messed up. The test scores are messed up. And so I really started looking into that, you know, I was like, okay. And being a a, a social scientist by training, you start really doing comparative analysis of different districts, different schools, and you start to come to understand that it's really systemic, you know, like it's, it's based on your, your zip code. You know, if you live in North Philly, if your mom and dad don't, take the initiative and put you in some kind of alternative setting and you just go where everybody in your neighborhood goes, most likely you're not going to get the 820 at the time on the SAT. The average score on the SAT at some schools in Baltimore, Philadelphia, Camden, Trenton was in the 600s, Mm -hmm. 650, 670, 680. So you're asking a basketball player to score 150, 170 points above the average student in his class. And most of the basketball players that I was encountering at the time were, weren't were outstanding students. These guys were CB students. So you're talking about an average kid at a poor school being asked to score 150, 170 points above the average kid in that school. It's basically, statistically speaking, doomed to fail. It's just Mm -hmm. not gonna work, and that's what was happening. It just was not working. So kid after kid after kid was having to go the JUCO route. So that's when I started saying to myself, well, if we intervene early enough, like if those guys tell me, man, this kid's good, and he's in the 10th grade, and I can catch his mom and his dad and say, hey, look, I think in a couple of years, you you might be able to get 100. $150,000, $200,000 in basketball scholarship money if you can get, you know, a 2.0 and an 8.20 on this. Once people understood what the minimum requirements really were, they took the steps that were needed to meet it. And it, it got to a point where I would say over the last few years, it's really rare that you hear about a kid who just can't, accept the scholarship for academic reasons that's kind of gone by the wayside and I'd I like to think that we had a lot to do with that in terms of raising the awareness among the players the families and especially the high school coaches who were kind of just like leaving that up to the the kid at that time which was really unfortunate
0: that's awesome and no, I d- definitely I mean y- you guys for sure have had a huge impact on that. I mean, even the stuff that I've seen you post is just the education about that. And that's been huge. And you know, I said, uh, I think it was last week on an episode I I was, I was talking to someone and I said, like, this is now, now this is past that, you know, maybe even in college, but I said right now in today's day and age with the amount of resources and education and, and access to resources that you have as a basketball player, whether you're in college or in high school, if you fail a class, that 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 tells me something. Like it is really hard. like I feel like it's really hard to like you have to try hard to fail a class now. Like I get if you don't understand the concepts, but you have help and resources for the most part. You, you know, like a you can't get a C or a D. You know, like failing a class is bad. So so you're right, and it's interesting that you've seen that in kind of your your statistics as well. Um, all right, cool. Let's let's jump into to high school hoops, high school recruiting. So first of all, right now, obviously the crazy year. Where where are we at with uh, with high school basketball, you know they're starting to cancel seasons left and right. Schools are starting to tell people like, "Hey, look, you know we're 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 not sure if we're having the season or now we're not having the season." What are your thoughts on that, and where are we at?
1: If I, if I had to try to paint with the m- most broad brush that I could come up with, I would guess that states that uh, Biden won probably <laughs> won't play, and states that uh, Trump won probably will play um there'll be some you know exceptions to that but if i had to guess i would go pretty much along those lines i I don't think there's a a chance in hell that they won't play in the deep south you know i think they're going to play louisiana alabama florida georgia mississippi they're going to compete and they're going to have crowds and they're not going to require masks and they're just going to play sports I think we're in real jeopardy up here in the northeast corridor. I I think that Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania are, we're at risk of not having a high school season this year.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's it's definitely interesting. It's been interesting for me to see how countries uh, around the world have reacted differently. You know, you got Kind of like the Sweden's the world that didn't really um, do too much since March and kind of mm. let things happen. And it was, they were fine up until recently. And now I think they're it's starting to. get going
1: crazy. Some, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's going crazy. And then you got, you know, like I'm watching, I'm watching the Philippines and, and over in Southeast Asia, you know, they got f- almost full capacity crowds now with some of their leagues starting up. And then, yeah, you got, but they and, were,
1: they were going in people's houses and snatching them out, you know, uh, for,
0: th- yeah, I mean, they, yeah. They, they handled it you know, very differently. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> That's for sure. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with high school. But so, so what does that mean for recruiting though? I mean, it's, uh, you know, whoever's listening now, if you don't know that NCAA had said everybody basically gets an extra year of eligibility. So if you were a a freshman last year going into this season, you're a freshman on the court. And
1: again, you have four years of eligibility remaining. Right.
0: So how's that going to affect recruiting? Like it's going to be, it's going to be crazy.
1: The four for current college kids in college, it's wonderful because right. they can change schools and they can play immediately without sitting out. So if you outplay your your expectations going in, say you go to a low to mid-level D1 and you're all rookie, you can immediately transfer up and play right away in one of the Power Five conferences. That's wonderful for those kids. Um, if you're a kid in the power five conference and you're a sophomore and you're still playing six, seven, eight minutes a game and you want to play a lot, you can go down to the low to mid-level D1 schools and play right away. That's just wonderful for those kids. For college coaches, it really helps them because, you know, if I were a college head coach, I would get a, a manager or a grad assistant in his entire job would be to look at the um, the top 150, 200 lists from three, four years ago, and then compare it to what these guys are doing in college now and try to predict, you know, who's going to enter the pool. Because if you were a top 150 kid and you're not starting by your sophomore year, chances are you're going to be looking for greener pastures. I mean, I just yeah. think that makes sense. If If I'm trying to build my own team, maybe I can pluck one of those guys off. So – the college coaches have an advantage. The, ki- the people who are hurt the most are the current high school seniors and juniors. Their value has absolutely been diminished. Um, there's no other way of putting it. Uh, the, unless you're a top 100 kid, think nothing changes for those kids. Everybody wants those right. kids. You'll still get all the offers that you would have normally gotten. But the kids below... In in basketball, below 150, 200. The kids in football, probably below the top four or 500. Those kids that would ordinarily, you know, have a a bunch of low D1 to mid-major offers, those offers aren't going to be there because the coaches are just going to wait because they could possibly end up with a 21-year-old kid with three years of eligibility remaining and two years of college experience under his belt and he can play right away. So if your choice is between a kid that's maybe 250 in the country and one of those kids, it's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, it's you're, a waiting. No brainer. you're waiting. You're so. waiting, man what what are your thoughts on uh, you you mentioned the transferring and and the, the past couple of years obviously has has gone crazy with the transfer portal and i think it's always case by case and you know i tend to have a bias towards the players of course you know being a being a past player and saying you know they should have their options to transfer but you know what what are your thoughts on transferring up transferring down i think it depends on Obviously, the situation, but what, what, what do you think about that? I mean, it's getting pretty crazy. Like, free agency is, is what it is. Are it saying. is free
1: agency now, and it's pure free agency now because you up till now, the coaches have always had a little bit of leverage in the game. They could play these games, you know, not sign off on a paper or ask a kid to wait, think mm-hmm. about it for two weeks, and all that stuff is gone. The kid can walk into the AD without telling the coach. And tell the coach, tell the AD, hey, man, put my name in the portal. Oh, and man. the AD has to put his name in the portal. And the college coach will find out from the AD, or he'll look in the portal, and he'll find out that way. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, everywhere else, in every act, people change jobs. Um, regular students transfer. Something like 40 50% of all college kids change schools at some point. I don't I don't think it's really fair to have the um, the college athlete just totally beholden to the whims of the coaches at all time. It was a one sided relationship. Even the national letter of intent thing, it kind of binds the kid. It doesn't bind the coach. You know, uh, the coach could always just coaches change jobs all the time recruit a kid, go to his house, tell the parent, I love him. He's like my son, I'll take care of him. And then mom reads the paper three weeks later, the coach took another job at another school. So I think this kind of levels out the playing field between the coaches and the players. And I think we'll see an adjustment period. It's just going to be so unfamiliar to people that some of the fans of particular programs may resent, you know, having a kid come in and be all rookie and, You think, yo, man, we got a guy. And then at the end of that season, he's gone because, you know, he thinks there's a better opportunity for him somewhere else. Um, But overall, I I really do. I think the market forces are always, over the long haul, a, a force for good. You know, I think people should have choice.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. It's just, it's been interesting. And obviously, you know, you talk with coaches uh, on a daily, you know, as, as, as I do, and it's been interesting to hear coaches start to tell me like now they're spending less time on recruiting future players and more time on recruiting
1: their You're own players, you <laughs> you have, you know? absolutely have
0: to. <laughs> which, which is crazy. You know, it's like, well, you, you know, yeah, they we make have sure think...
1: I mean, look, I could tell you over the past five years, it has been at least five times where I've said to head coaches and their assistants, like, yo, you better recruit such and such on your roster, man. Oh, he's not going anywhere. He wouldn't do that. He would tell me, I'm like, dude, you better recruit such and such. Cause you know, you hear things on the street, you know? And you know, I would never betray a kid's confidence, but I would just like give hit like, yo, you better start paying attention to your own kids. But I think the coaches understand that more now than they ever had before.
0: Yeah, I agree i agree and and so when when you're talking to a lot of these coaches cuz obviously you know you've you have relationships at high levels, and you've helped many high major programs get some of their kids from from this, you know, the hotbed of, of talent in the Philly area and, and, and this area. So, when coaches talk to you, what, what do they ask you? And, like, what are they looking for in players these days? That obviously, it depends on position and what they need, but what are some, like, non negotiables when a coach is saying, Hey, Del Greco, like, what do you got for me? I need, I, you know, I need this. It,
1: it normally doesn't, they, you know, it's not the basketball stuff so much most of the time especially at that high major level they know who fits them from a basketball perspective so what they'll ask me about is the kid as a person you know the people around the kid you know uh do i because they know i know them you know can this kid how many times can i call this kid a mother effort you know will he be okay do i have to worry about him you know quitting on me and stuff like that that's the information that they're looking for. You know, will this kid make it academically? You know, can he fit in you know, socially, emotionally, culturally on my campus? And, and I have a pretty good understanding of what most of these guys are looking for in those areas. So I'm able to convey that to the players. And then I can tell the players about the guys as coaches. You know, I don't lie to the kids either. I'm like, dude, look you I tell the when I introduce him I'll tell them both y'all got to work out the basketball stuff but look coach this is a loyal kid he comes from a good family he's not going to talk back he's not going to be late um if he ever does anything that would embarrass you or the university you can call me I'll come up there and I'll put my foot in his ass <laughs> for you you know and the kids they know I'll be like yo man what the fuck are you doing you know and and all I ask of the coaches that You know, I don't want to hear about the kid doesn't have his books or he doesn't have a tutor or, you know, the heat is off in his dorm. You know, I don't want to hear that stuff that I'll call you about that. But I've never called a coach about playing time or how many shots is he getting or why is this kid starting? Oh, I just don't involve myself in that aspect of it. And so therefore, I have like a, a clear cut space where they know that I can be around but I'm not impacting what they're trying to do. I'm only trying to help the kids and I'm only trying to help the coaches. You know the basketball stuff, I'm not at practice every day. So I'm not going to insert my opinion. I don't know. Johnny might be kicking your ass every day at practice. So don't call me talking about Johnny's playing too much.
0: Yeah, that that that's great and it's it's uh it's the same way as the pros and sometimes I think aspiring pros and aspiring collegiate athletes forget it's like there, there are there are thousands of, of players that are talented like on the courts like everyone it's easy to see if you can put the ball in the hole and you're good at basketball you're good at basketball right but are you an asshole off the court or do we have yes. to worry about x y and z off the court It's the same thing going from high school to college going from college to pro the same thing that agents worry about, you know, like, am I going to send this dude to, you know, to to Barcelona, he's going to be out at the clubs being an asshole, like, well, I can't handle that, you know, Uh, that's that's, that's not all I And And
1: sometimes, in fairness to the kids, kids are labeled as assholes that really aren't. I think there's a real um, cultural neg, cultural that exists, and so some people might look at a kid's hair or the, the tattoos that he wears or the way his pants might hang down a little low, and you might draw a conclusion that really doesn't fit with the kid if you would take the time to spend, you know, a few days talking to the kid and really understanding that this is just the way everybody in his neighborhood dresses and the way they all wear their hair, and he's bright God. and he's polite. And, and so, you, you know, I can help coaches kind of get through that process.
0: I agree with that 100%. I see that a lot overseas, too. Both, I see both ends, obviously. you know, Like I described, I can't take the risk to have some guy be an asshole. But at the same time, I know guys that are just labeled that guy. Mm-hmm. But w- whether it's through their personal appearance or whether it's through their stats and say, oh, he only averaged five points a game. Like, nah, he's not good. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you know, you're not taking the time to talk to the kid and, and watch film and see what he can do and bring the intangibles. So I'm glad you brought that up because 110% agreed. 110- and,
1: and you have situations, and I've run into this on a few occasions very recently, where a kid might have been an asshole when he was in the ninth grade, in the 10th grade, and he just matured, yeah. but he changed programs. And so when he was the asshole in the ninth and the 10th grade, he was with this group of coaches a and that's their final conclusion he's an asshole right but he went over to a different program and he never had a subsequent incident ever and so you got two different narratives out there you know floating around about this kid and you know i just think that if it's if it's if a kid's 18 and you're telling colleges not to recruit him based on something that happened when he was 14 or 15 years old i think you're the asshole you know, I, yep. I, I, and and you know that's an ongoing struggle that I have.
0: It's like those, uh, you know, you, you'll see journalists or in the media, people are searching five, ten years ago for people's tweets or Instagram yes. photos of like yes. what they. You no, know, people change for the good. People can change for the good, at least. So, um, and and so w- when you're dealing with a lot of these kids, um, and and watching them and kind of you know involved in the in the decision making process, what are some mistakes you see? both players and parents making that, that hurts their chances at getting to that next level? Well,
1: a a lot of it, and and this goes, you can, you can look at this across industries. Sometimes when you have massive shifts um, in the rules, in the, in the way things are done, just in the way people make money and everything by the time some people, particularly people in communities like the ones where I come from, by the time we realize it, it's too late. You can think about music, you know. If you, people probably trying to go around and open a record store when they real, didn't even know, records, are, that, that industry is gone, man. It's over, there's no more CD stores. You, there's, you can't buy them anywhere. Mm. Same thing now with basketball. There are guys who five years ago, you probably could have absolutely squeezed into a a solid mid-major program or a low D1 program. But if you don't take into account the changes that have taken place in the rules and the options that all these coaches have, then you have no way of really understanding that the opportunities that would have existed five years ago aren't there. And I think that's the biggest mistake that kids are making right now. They're big-timing people. You know, a low D1 school will call you and want to recruit you. And, you know, because your cousin went to, you know, the A-10 or A-C-C five, eight years ago, you just think it's going to happen for you. But it's not. It's a whole different set of rules now, a whole different ball game, And the college coaches have all the leverage right now, all of it. The high school kids have none, and they don't understand that. And the people around them don't understand that. The parents are starting to quickly realize it because, you know, they've invested six, seven years driving around, a, u, paying all these, and they're not getting the phone calls. They're not getting the offers that they want. So the parents are catching on. I think a lot of the kids still think it's going to come, but it's not. And and so you know, prep schools will be really busy the next couple of
0: years. Definitely. I mean, it's the same thing that you know I see a lot at the pro level and. It's I think it's just a human trait to be always wanting to do better or reach for more, or reach higher, right? You know, if you got a kid that's getting a scholarship from Division two, they're like, well, I need to just wait for the D1. And in some cases, you, you know, you want to, right? That's fine. But there's you know, some kids getting a scholarship from a, a Northeast Conference school, and they're like, well, I can get to I can get to the A10. I know I can because I, that would help me, you know, be a pro better. Well, you'd rather score. 25 points in the NEC, then ride the bench in the A-10, I'll tell you that much. And same thing with pros. Pros are always saying, well, I'm going to turn down this offer from this country. It's not that sexy. I know I can get there. And they've been playing pro for one year, two years, and, and they end up hurting themselves. It's the same thing. You're always reaching for more. So I, I think you gave I think you gave some solid advice there, and you just got to have that open mind of being humble enough to know and you don't always have the leverage. You just got to keep earning it and keep earning it's it.
1: A, it's a totally different playing field right now. I mean, it's t- – and 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 I know they don't say it to the kids, but they have no problem saying it to me. Or you call some of these mid-major and low D1 coaches, and they will tell you that right now they are not recruiting any high school kids. No. None. They're not looking at them. They're not talking to them. They're not evaluating them. There's just they don't see any reason. They can keep the guys that they have on their roster for next year. So you, whatever every team in America can feel the exact same team that they have on the court this year, next year, if the kids want to hang around. Yep. So that's a dramatic reduction in the available seats at the Division I table going forward. And the high school kids just aren't grasping this. They just aren't.
0: Definitely, man. It's a, when you say it out loud again, every time you hear it, you're like, man, that is crazy. They can feel the same exact, the team. exact
1: same teams.
0: That's wild, man. Um, man, we, we we've covered a lot here. I got I got one or two last last topics uh, for for this one. So, so how how different is the high school and college basketball scene going to be ten years from now? Like, how dramatic is it going to be? Dramatically different, a little different, or, you know, what what, what do you think that that shift is going to be like ten years from now?
1: I I think that, you know, the the advent of the, the shoe company circuit teams has allowed these kids to develop, well, establish, develop and strengthen bonds and relationships that have led to a lot of the stuff that the people, we're seeing it right now with all these pro guys, they just wanna play with their friends. You know, they wanna play with the most talented guys. And th- what they do is they, they they learn the rules, they understand the rules, they wait, until you know, all right, I'm gonna just sign a one-year deal, and then we'll both be free agents at the same time, and then we can, you know, do this, this, and this. And you you find that a lot of the long-time people in the industry they resent it. They resent, I, you know, the the level of pushback that Rich Paul and LeBron are getting right now from established agents is incredible. Yep. And it's beca- all they've done is just understood the rules, and, and play using, the game. and play the game and. And so these high school kids are starting to understand the rules <laughs> and play the game. And so you've got your Sierra Canyons and your Verdes and your IMG's and your Huntington preps. And Imani Bates got his own school, you know. Well, and so he can go around the country and probably get, you know, his school could probably get fifty, dollars $100,000 every game, just playing games all across the country. I mean, this is 10 years ago, you didn't see this. 10 years from now, I think you'll see a lot more of it. This kind of stuff is only going to proliferate. The very best players that we've had in this region over the last couple of years have all left, with the exception of DeWan Wagner. Um, DJ Wagner is still around, but Mm Jalen Duran, gone. 10th grader. Chance Westry, gone. 10th grader. Um, Justice Williams, gone. 10th grader. I mean, these guys are, you know, packing up and leaving. A.J. Hogart left, went out to West Virginia to play a Huntington prep in the 10th grade. I think 10th grade seems like, you know, if you can get a guy for two years in Philly, and he's a surefire high major player and a potential pro, you're doing good if you can keep him for two years. And a, a couple of the guys that had an opportunity to leave that stayed I, You know, I talked to their parents and the pressure, you know, the recruiting pressure was immense. I mean, you know, a guy take um, Nassim Poplar. He plays at MCS. He's going to Miami. It was nonstop. His dad got calls literally nonstop the whole offseason from the spring through the summer up until school started. Ten, tons of schools calling, hey man, come, come, come. And you know, these kids don't have to pay for this stuff, man. Nope. Just get on the plane and come on out, and we got you. So I think that'll be the model. I think we're is a is a separate class of schools. You know, uh, I think there'll be a few traditional high schools that can compete at that level. But for the most part, they really won't be able to. I think St. Francis down in Baltimore, they're able to compete against those schools. Damatha is able to compete against those schools. In Philadelphia, typically, Roman Catholic and Newman Goretti can compete at that level. MOTEP has able to field teams that could compete with, in fact, they beat Montverde at Montverde, you know, and broke their 50-something game winning streak. But I think going forward, you'll see much, much less of that, where a traditional high school can walk in and play with those schools.
0: Completely agree. I mean, that's that's the path that's going down, and the, and the whole public-private high school thing is just going to continue to yes. continue to separate. Hundred yes. percent. Man, this was awesome. I know we covered a lot of stuff. We can go. We might have to get a couple other episodes in here uh, in the near future because because we got a lot more to talk about. So I appreciate having you on. The, the last thing I want to end with here is that I like to call it a sports business lightning round. So I'm going to fire a bunch of questions at you. You just got to give me an answer. The first thing that comes to mind.
1: All right. No problem.
0: Great. All right, let's do it. Favorite color.
1: Ooh, blue, like sky blue.
0: Pizza or pasta? Pizza. MJ or LeBron?
1: We talking just basketball?
0: Just basketball.
1: MJ, uh, oh, as a, as the whole package, LeBron and it's not close. Uh,
0: coolest city in the world you've ever been to?
1: Chicago, New Orleans, or Thai.
0: Cool. What's something you're really bad at?
1: Uh, saying goodbye. I like to just like Ooh. at parties and stuff. I'll just ghost on them, man. <laughs> I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big go around the room and
0: shake hands and all that stuff. Man. I like that. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life?
1: My high school basketball coach, Alonzo Lewis, he was the second black guy ever to play at LaSalle University. Um, played with Tom Golan. Um, he, you know, he really helped me, you know, understand what John Thompson and John Chaney and them were talking about and kind of, you know, just helped me understand all of this stuff that I'm trying to carry on today. Um, my grandfather, I spent pretty much every weekend from the time I was about 10 to 19 with my grandfather every single weekend. And then my, I would say my mom.
0: Awesome. What was your first ever job?
1: With my grandfather cleaning up a bar, um, putting ice, uh, putting beer on the stocks, watching the old drunk guys have a good time every Saturday and Sunday from the time I was 10 to about 19.
0: Oh, that's awesome. if they're hiring now, I might take that job to to, to get some entertainment. That was
1: a a great job,
0: man. That's awesome. If you could have a superpower, what would it be?
1: I would like the ability to make people more intelligent. I think we're having a a real, uh, there's a deficit of critical thinking at this time in our history. And I think it's some of the people who have figured that out, are using it to their advantage and to the disadvantage of others who follow blindly behind them. And I think it's really unfortunate. I think as a society, we're all paying a cost for it right now.
0: Agreed. Got two more for you. If you could trade jobs with any basketball coach in the world, pro, college, any level, for one week, who would it be?
1: Got to be Calipari, man.
0: That's a good one.
1: Because, <laughs> you know, Bruiser Flint's on his staff now, so I, I hear the stories about how life is in Lexington. man. There's, there's nothing like being a basketball coach at Lexington, Kentucky, man.
0: I believe it. And last one, <laughs> if you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old Del Greco, what would you tell him?
1: I would tell him to, to read more, to learn more. To just be, you know, I I never really took school very seriously until college. Um, If I, if I, if I, in 18 would have been too late, I would have been out of high school. But I really just wish that as a, you know, seventh, eighth grader, I had taken a little bit more time to read more. You know, I kind of fell in love with it when I, once I really realized, you know, people had a lot of really interesting things to say throughout time. You know, I, I didn't know that. But once I discovered it, I, I kind of, after about two years, you see, I can't go nowhere without my glasses anymore. And that's all from just trying to read and learn and pick up things late.
0: That's awesome, man. Great stuff. Well, you, the, the the lightning round was awesome. You had some awesome answers. I appreciate you coming on today, man. We We, we dove deep into some. Some recruiting and some high school hoops, and I know we got plenty more conversations to come. So, so I appreciate you coming on and sharing the wisdom, and hopefully, the listeners took notes because, uh, you know, you have a lot of uh, a lot of wisdom to share with them. So they should be paying attention and following you on all all social media handles, which I'll I'll post as well when we post this. So I appreciate you, man.
1: Well, I, I do want to take a second and and let, because you know I have a lot of young boys that pay yeah. attention to the yeah. stuff that I put out, and and a lot of them struggle trying to make the transition, not only from high school to college, but once they finish college, they want to play professionally. And I know that you really kind of specialize in trying to help guys find that first job, you know, in all corners of the globe. So I I really recommend that people reach out to Kevin and try to get some sound advice on what they could do to you know, improve their chances of becoming a professional basketball player. Because there's not a lot of people out here that really get it done. You know, There's a lot of people that talk about it, but For guys sure. actually getting guys jobs, it's not a lot of them. So Kev, you're one of them, and I think people should take the time to look you up and find out what you have to offer as they come towards the end of their own high, high school and college careers.
0: And I appreciate that, man, for sure. I'll, I'm I'm definitely still learning as I go, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a fun journey for me and, and anyone that wants to reach out. I'm more than happy to try and help any way I can. I appreciate that. All right, Kev. All right, man. We'll talk soon.
1: Later.